0: and welcome again to Campion Conversations, our infrequent podcast here at Campion College of the Liberal Arts in which uh, lecturers just discuss pop culture, literature, philosophy, history. I'm Dr. Colin Dre, I'm joined by Mr. Thomas Flynn. Uh, I was originally going to do a podcast uh, to help me enter into the world of Blade Runner. Uh, And when I say Blade Runner, I do not mean uh, the far more topical uh, Blade Runner 2047, which blipped into cinemas for about half a second. Lord, no, that'd be far too up to date. I know, then that would be relevant. Um, Instead, uh, I was hoping to dip into uh, the original Blade Runner. And obviously that word, original, is going to have a slightly different meaning when we're talking about a, a movie that has at least four authoritative versions uh which we'll get into but my my problem just to explain it was that I have always had trouble with this film uh it, it's a film that I think is very aesthetically beautiful uh that I think sort of dabbles with some interesting ideas but I, I I was always alienated from it I could never enjoy it on a sort of thematic level or a character level or or on any of the ways that I adore near obsessively adore things in this genre, you know the sort kind of divide between humans and robots, in this case replicants, but that idea of uh, the creation of an entire new race of beings that uh, we are responsible for, science fiction, noir, all of that stuff is usually that's my wheelhouse, and yet for some reason i I couldn't get into Blade Runner. So I asked. Mr. Thomas Flynn, who I will allow to speak in a second. I'm sorry that I'm, like, rambling on here. But I asked him to, to walk me through it, to explain uh, Blade Runner to me. And maybe we'll get into my more recent reactions to the film in a moment. But um, could, could you just maybe give me a, a bit of a history, your history with this film? What, what have you thought of the film? What do you currently think about the film?
1: Blade Runner, to me, was... I first heard of it in the 1991... Director's Cut. And that was the first time I heard of it. I thought, oh, that looks an interesting film. But you know, you're at school. You don't have a VHS copy. to Oh, yeah. I never got around to seeing it. Wow. Um, and then, uh, settle down. Have a home of your own. Have a DVD player. I think, oh, Blade Runner. And it wasn't available on DVD. And I got one that fell off the back of a truck in um, China and still didn't get around to watching it and then they finally got around to releasing it on DVD and Blu-ray in Australia and uh, I got a copy which had five versions for 25 bucks. So five
0: was- versions. So, uh, I mean, not to get uh, sidetracked, the but the, the...
1: original theatrical cut in the US. Okay. The original international cut... Which, which I didn't realise was a different thing, more, okay. Slightly more violent, apparently. Wow. The... Work print,
0: which of yes, okay, I've heard of that um,
1: Which was the basis for the 1991 director's cut and Ridley Scott, Scott's 2007 final cut, which is pretty much the only version I've ever seen. Uh, so that's my history with the film. Mostly, I've seen uh, the final cut. I've seen the uh, storied theatrical cut <laughs> once, and I've read the novel a couple of times. And I'm not, that's uh, the last you're going to hear about Duane's okay. dream of electric sheep. Because that's cheating. You're in the outside <laughs> novel. I I remember very little about the novel, but it is very different from the film. Uh, that's all.
0: And uh, still, I, I mean, we won't talk about it, but, but just quickly, no explanation for the term Blade Runner in that novel there?
1: I believe it doesn't occur, and certainly I never noticed it.
0: Well, this is what I've heard uh, that it was just a complete construction of. Ridley Scott's. He just thought it sounded cool. It uh, I think it's actually from a different book, and he just thought it sounded cool and went, "Okay, well." It does right.
1: sound cool. With the idea that he's riding a fine line between killing a human and killing a replicant, or the whole danger of dealing <laughs> with them—I
0: don't know. I it's... like that the police department who came up with it were poets. Just like, <laughs> well, you're going to be walking a very fine razor's edge, friend. Um, but it, so. I guess in continuation of the question, you, uh, you're more familiar with the, the final cut, that was the first version that you saw. Yes. Did it grab you straight away? Were you struck by the um, beauty of the film?
1: I, I was, um, it precisely it was the beauty of the film that first took me in, mm. and the, the imagery. And it just struck me as like a, at first viewing it was, it was oh that's where all that comes from and so it's, it's like a very highly condensed version that's just got diluted into other films, including <laughs> funnily enough love um, uh, uh, another film whose initials are BR, and Ridley Scott would be entitled to be extremely annoyed at how the movie Black Rain rips off wow. Blade Runner, except Ridley Scott himself directed Black <laughs> Rain, so he's a little bit of self plagiarization' in, in some of the imagery of that, not so many of the the uh, philosophical themes. Uh, so, yeah, it's something you see a lot. Um, we've talked before about Ghost in the Shell. and
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean you're absolutely right. It's like um, uh, the Barocca tablet uh, that sort of dumped in the water, just like yeah, exactly. fizzed everywhere. So, you've got the genre influences and the aesthetic influences that just went everywhere the, the Matrix and Ghost in the Shell and. Uh, I had a whole sort of list of things I was trying to come up with the other night. Battlestar Galactica, the the mm-hmm. the re uh, the revision of the series, uh, even the Fifth Element. You know, even like Goofy uh, yeah. kind takes on sci-fi clearly owe a debt to this film. So, and that was what I was saying even, before. Is even, even God when... help us all. Um, uh, Attack of the Clones. Oh, or, uh, uh, what hell. Justify yourself, sir.
1: Are uh, the flying cars the running around the dark city? Oh, you're
0: absolutely right, uh, Chris. Coruscant, Coruscant, yes. That was a test, Not wasn't it? Which I just failed. No, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I've tried to block all that out. With the, yeah. Would you like to buy some Death Stick? That's yeah. the one. Okay. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. That um, George Lucas cribbing from uh, Scott there, and still. Grilling it up, but well, uh, you can
1: see why. I mean, um, uh, the light—it's just it's light and darkness. Mm. You can see why it, it's mm. a fairly obvious thing. Once people say, "Oh, we'll do that," yeah, that's a great idea.
0: And and also uh, just the themes that it's grappling with. I mean, I would argue that other texts later take up some of those ideas and run with them further than maybe Blade Runner does. But but certainly it was one of the first to put front and center this idea of. In, in the cinema landscape, I'll say, not obviously in sci-fi, but in the cinema landscape to really say the division between cyborgs and... Well, oh, they're not cyborgs, sorry, replicants and uh, humans uh, is immaterial at this point, where they've they're sort of become so indistinguishable from one another. That, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's
1: what's interesting about the film and makes it very hard to pin down is because what are replicants? Mm. Uh, the book, It comes from a book called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Mm-hmm. They're not androids by any sense of what we mean by that. Replicants aren't androids. Um, I forget, again, I've read the books, I've completely forgotten the details. My recollection when watching this film is, oh, there's a bit where they can work out after you've killed them that they were a replicant all along. But no, there isn't. No, certainly not um, at any first glance, that we can get into what the film tells us and what we're allowed to think about. How well, they're... the glow in the
0: eyes. I always, I always well, find it yeah, funny But they bit. don't
1: notice it. It's yeah. not, no one notices, oh, you've got the glow in the eyes, that's not something. The only possible distinguishing feature is that the at one point, Deckard, Harrison Ford's character, gets a... Uh, he finds a scale which he thinks a fish scale turns out to be a snake scale and he has it examined under uh, a powerful microscope and it clearly has a maker's mark on it mm. and you'd think for good business practices that the tyrell corporation maker of these uh these replicants would somewhere have something that says made by us <laughs> at least, if only for protection of intellectual property but uh, did they but, not
0: Am I mis- remembering no, that? I thought in the eyeball or in the iris or something. It's, it's
1: never that. made clear why the eyeball does oh. why why they do this thing where they. I think I've just projected they're, that onto the film. Yeah. Thing, um, well, the eyes are very important in the film. It's the second shot of the movie is of Holden. I think his name is his eye or somebody's eye looking out onto eyes. modern polluted
0: okay, Los Angeles. I, maybe we'll steer into this because I wanted to talk about eyes. I mean eyes. You're right. It's it's not only one of the pivotal shots in the film is this the, the close-up image of an eyeball. Who did you say it was? I always assumed oh. it was Deckard, but
1: it's somebody looking out over you the, the shot. Start is the establishing shot is zooming over uh, Los Angeles at night, mm. and this is Los Angeles with um, burning flames from refineries and, uh, and so on, and um, and then. The next shot is of a very extreme close-up of someone's eye, bore one eye, um, with those lights reflected in mm. them. And then the next shot is within the room where I think his name's called Holden um, is about to interrogate a suspected the replicant. Void comp test. The, the void comp test, and 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 so it could just be anyone's eye, and maybe it deliberately. Vague because I think Holden he is. isn't quite looking out of a window because it's a window that's high up and so so it, it is a slightly confusing shot so it's it's yeah. more like there's this but it's
0: such a it's Los Angeles a... there's
1: the eye and then the, now we're going to start the movie
0: but it's also it's it's the world reflected back upon the observer yeah which again every other time I've watched this film I've felt distanced from the piece because I just think yeah it's very pretty. It's ultimately pretty shallow. There's nothing much beyond this superficial layer. Watching it this time, I took that image of the eyeball and I ran with it. And it's it's kind of amazing what I think it opens up because eyeballs are all through this this film like uh, near obsessively. You've got mm. uh, what is it? Um, uh, Roy gouges out his creator's eyeballs. Um, You've got the visitation of the guy who creates the eyeballs, you know, they're putting eyes on his shoulder while they're freaking him out. Uh, You've got even even sort of silly things, like when when Roy uh, is talking to the geneticist, whose name I forget... Uh, Sebastian. Th- Sebastian, thank you. Uh, he even does this playful moment where he holds up eyes over his eyes, and, and just Pris paints black stripe across her eyes. Absolutely, yeah. Eyes everywhere. Eyes all over the place. Uh, so, so it's clearly something that that uh, Scott is working with in the, the imagery of the film. But specifically, I think that idea of reflection, perceiving a world that is being reflected back upon you that you can only understand through inference, like we in the audience. Uh, seeing this world, but it's necessarily through a reflection in somebody else's perception, which I think, again, opens up the whole film to me, this question of viewing a, a world that you can only infer meaning from. You can't actually distinctly see it. Maybe I'm overstepping my description at the moment. We'll, like, talk through what I mean as we go along. But did that make any sense at all? No,
1: I, I, see, I, I see what you're getting at, and it's... um
0: to sum it up it it is just it's visual and it is Hmm. um, what we're looking at and what we're seeing but also the nature of perception I mean the entire film if you want to say that it has kind of a a narrative arc for Deckard which again I've never seen but on this viewing uh, I I somewhat tapped into uh, it's it's about him growing from being this sort of cynical shut off repressed unempathetic jerk frankly like he's Pretty intolerable in the beginning of the film. But uh, over the course of this very brief, bloody, awkward investigation hunting down these uh, replicants, he grows, he becomes empathetic, he falls in love with Rachel. Um, And and he comes to to see that this division between the replicants and humans is fairly immaterial. So we're watching him re... Interrogate his world Re-perceive it in, in a way I think your take
1: Is excessively
0: optimistic Really?
1: I, I, I think Because you're telling isn't...
0: me Because what I'm saying Is for the first time I liked this film And you're saying no, I, well I don't say um, Optimism is, <laughs> is what
1: makes a film good um, but, um, but you're about to snuff out the joy that I, I well uh, for once I'm, glimpsed I'm, I'm in sorry this piece. to do that. Yes. No. Um, uh, there are this film. It doesn't quite contain multitudes, but it contains well, contains five films. So we know <laughs> that much. Yeah. And um, I, I, I think well, let's address in more recent years. What I've been wondering is what is a replicant? And okay, good, the yeah. first time, a few times, I think. What, not while I was watching it, but while I was thinking about it afterwards, um, I was pretty unreflectively just thinking of them as uh, androids, mm. skin-coloured androids, like in Terminator, or like in Ex Machina, um, where there's a, uh, there's a. She's clearly meant to be a, an android because we've seen her with her skin off, so we know who she is and we know what the Terminator is. Uh, and but they're not so the idea the problem is the the, the the dilemma or a dilemma that's posited by the film which is that when um, they, they, they have to hunt them down because for whatever reason replicants are deemed dangerous they can't be on earth and so uh. when they arrive on earth they have to be killed so you do a test to find out if they're a replicant and then you kill them or as the um, title card at the beginning cynically says this wasn't called execution it was called retirement Yes. so they retired but again that's a terminology I think taken from the novel which they just don't really do much with in the rest of the film um,
0: so no but that, that's one thing I, I do think resonates throughout the film yeah I, I think of, so
1: no I, I, semantic I, difference. I, I
0: have no problem with movies which are enormously
1: different from their the source material whatsoever um, that, that, that's, that's not something like, that bothers me in the slightest hmm. um, but uh,
0: but, 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 no, I do. I do think it's important that they, they impress upon you right from the beginning that this is a film about enslavement through semantics. So, yeah. Well,
1: that's well, yes, but that's the point is I missed the point. Yeah. No, no, um, fair enough. Fair first time around. Yeah. and then later I realised. Hang on, they're not androids. Well, they're obviously not cyborgs because they were never human beings. They're not clones. Um. in any obvious way. They appear to be, and I'm going to, I'm going to intentionally misuse the term here because the expression of "Frankenstein's monster" is too cumbersome, so if you have a problem with me calling um, them Frankenstein's uh, email. Dr. Dre.
0: No, I don't, because like I'm we'll right there them. with you. They're not Frankenstein's; they're what? Frankenstein's monsters.
1: Yeah, I know exactly, but I'm just going to call them Frankenstein's. No, that, it's easier. Um, okay, oh, right, if it's going to be a trouble, I'll no, call no, no, monster. do
0: it. But you'll visibly see me flinch every I time. Right. I will call
1: it flinch, but I don't want to see <laughs> it. I don't want my eyeballs to reflect that back at me. <laughs> yes. So, um, okay, they are Frankenstein's monsters. In that they appear to be something that are con- they are constructed. They're not bred up like clones in mm. the island. Um, sorry, spoiler alert for another <laughs> movie. Um, and uh, they are um, they are actually built from scratch. And so mm. we see James Hong's character, um, who's the guy who manufactures the eyeballs, and the eyeballs are clearly adult eyeballs. And uh, that, that, that clearly is what happens. Them. So they're, 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 they're put together, and then they have a, um, a four-year lifespan or a six-year lifespan. I, I can't remember what. I that think one. it's four. Yeah. And they, um, so they're, 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 frank, they're frank, that's what a replicant is—a Frankenstein's monster. And so the point is, is that you cannot just retire someone, retire a suspected and uh, replicant, and then see, uh huh, yeah, there's that blue ooze coming out, that white stuff like in you know, alien. Yeah. Ah, uh, oh, yes, yeah, definitely he was. So I was right. Uh, you, you can't, and, and the one replicant, uh, Deckard, quote unquote, retires in a very violent, bloody yeah. way. Um, he's meant to be, I think, and he clearly is disturbed by what he's done. And it yeah. is, it is a a standard police death scene that is shown with um, police hanging around. You know, the the, the uh, police flying car going overhead, saying, "Move on, move on, move on." Um,
0: and Hopefully not standard in the sense that he guns her down while she's running away. No, unarmed. no, 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 no. I, I mean, I mean, I mean. It, it, after it's the, the vocabulary
1: fact. of that kind of scene. Yes, for, for cinematic purposes, is, is that you have a you have the police like this, and he's been debriefed and so on. But there's no obvious way to say, "Ah, oh, yes, you were right. Um, she is a replicant." Um, well done. Um, you'll get a medal for this, officer. Yeah. Um, and so the the film doesn't really take that sort of easy. Easy way out. I mean, I mean, it's, it's an obvious point: is you are they are killing these these uh, beings, and but what are these beings? I, I would also and add even to that, if oh, sorry. what they are is just a replicant. Well, does that make it the right thing to do?
0: I would. I would also add to that because it's not only in their death that um, that question of uh, their identity and the ownership of that death. Is, is kind of addressed. It's in their birth. Like the entire film, I mean, there's, there's, the investigation is pretty rubbish. Like as far as police detective work goes, Deckard just goes from place to place and gets told a thing that moves him forward. But what you are he gets investi- told by someone else is typically Brian says, yeah. "I want you to go here," and he goes so, and he okay. goes there and he gets kicked. In, someone kicks his butt, and then he goes to another place yeah. and someone kicks his butt. But what you what the film is investigating is all of the people who were involved in the creation of these uh yeah. replicants so you see the the eyeball guy and you see sebastian who tells it's them oh there's story. a bit of me in you and yeah. the, you know he, he meets uh tyrell and it's, it's all of these people so the responsibility for these creatures isn't just dr frankenstein who on his own created this monster it's a society that all contributed apparently without ever questioning what they were doing to the creation of this being that they then semantically shift into an object that that doesn't have uh, an identity that doesn't have uh, you know a, a, an autonomy that is being oppressed by their definition mm-hmm. um, <laughs> by being turned into slave labor or a sex object or uh, just grunts
1: yes though you do wonder is why did they make the, what the what, what's Pris called, which is called the standard um, recreation model or something? Recreation model, like, yeah. Something like that. And why did they give her the extraordinary superhuman strength <laughs> of the rest of the Nexus 6 series? You, you think there might be sort of obvious reasons where that might go wrong. <laughs> um, but, uh, but she clearly is um, more than a physical match for Deckard. Well, I guess this kind of blends into maybe we should look at now is the... Is the awful main question. question. Yeah, no, yes. let's not call it the main question. The awful question wished upon us by Ridley Scott <laughs> himself, the director, um, is Deckard a replicant?
0: Mm. So this is, a, from my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, this is something that was not... At least overt in the original film, according to the screenwriter, according to Harrison Ford, according to everybody, Deckard is a human. My recollection, my understanding
1: is that Harrison Ford had arguments with Ridley Scott oh, when they were making on the, on okay. the on set and said, I think you're trying to make him a replicant and he isn't. Right. Um... But I, um, but it's something he certainly comes out now and says, well, absolutely, oh yes, it's a, he he's a replicant, he was a replicant all along.
0: Well, absolutely, because in the director's cut, so the 1991 version, I believe you said, mm-hmm. he he inserts this scene, uh, along with taking out the detective uh, narration that um, Harrison Ford clearly was not into when they were recording it, um, which I I have she to admit... In ag- with gams that went from here to there. <laughs> a little bit... My wife says I'm a cold fish, or whatever that that was. Which, I I must admit, I kind of like that narration. Forgive me, but um, I I kind of like the whole detective noir thing that it was going for. But anyway, along with stripping that out of the film, he inserts this unicorn thing. So the the, the vision of the unicorn that, that Deckard has in the process of his investigation that is then confirmed at the end of the film with a little piece of origami... That we are invited to read, as an indication that uh, his partner, who oh, please forgive me, I always forget his name, um, uh, Edward James Olmos, is the actor Gaff. Gaff. That Gaff has left for him, uh, as
1: which shows per- that he knows decades because the idea is that the replicants have been given memories. Yes. That um, in, in order to so ho- Yeah, they're not, they're not, they're not hopelessly. Um, Confused and disoriented by being fully grown, uh, to all intents and purposes, adult human beings, but they've got no, no background. So they've been given that you think, oh, well, I'm obviously not a replicant. I remember being a child, but actually all those memories are fake. Mm. Um, and in uh, the case of one character, you know, they've been given there by, um, Tyrell from Tyrell's niece. And, and so the idea is, is that Gaff, this character played by Edward James Olmos, is, has read Death's File. So he knows what the memories are for Deckard. He knows that, and so we've seen a memory shot, and it's it in the grammar of cinema. It's clearly meant to be going on in the head of the person we're watching because it moves from his face to this shot of a unicorn it's running so through the woods. So rubbish.
0: It's like watching it again, it, it's so clearly jammed in there. He's having a realization about the photograph. He's not having a realization about this stupid. Unicorn. No, but anyway. Yeah. Yes. It's it's really he, annoying, but anyway. And they.
1: Um he gets his uh, and so so the idea is is that he's showing he knows his secret memories, his mm. secret thoughts because he's able to do because he throughout the film uh, gaff has been doing little bits of annoying origami um when he's going into places. And uh and so I think I think that's the idea is, is you're meant to read it as that. The problem for me, for seeing with Deckard as a replicant, is that he gets pretty severely beaten up.
0: Oh, Twice. right, so you mean just logistically that it, it makes no he, sense.
1: Um, so we are told right at the beginning that these replicants are much stronger, at least as smart, and much stronger mm. than um, human beings. Uh, and yet Harrison Ford's character gets beaten up once.
0: What? Maybe that's his power, is he's more absorbent. <laughs> he's got better shock.
1: <laughs> he, he gets beaten up by the. Whole...
0: All of them! All, all of them. them! They all beat him up. Every sing- I, I think literally every single one of them yeah. beats yeah. him up. Roy um, Batty kicks the crap out of him. Pris uh, strangles him. Yeah, she strangled
1: him. And only because she decides to do that pretty show off thing is he able to get his gun and
0: shoot her. The uh, the, the exotic dancer whose name is At- Zora. Zora. She, she slaps him around before she runs yeah, off. Yeah. Uh, And certainly the the... and she's
1: pretty clever in the way she's hiding in plain sight. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, And the and the guy um, Leon, of course, Leon smashes him again. Yeah,
1: and Leon is only stopped because someone else. Uh, intervene
0: yeah which I mean there's a whole other discussion we could have about how bad Deckard is at his job I mean he <laughs> just he drops his gun uh, he, he
1: to be fair he gets kicked out of his hand by someone who's much stronger oh no
0: there's that. that no later in the film when yes, he's he trying does. to escape yeah, he drops he his gun and goes oh I might just leave that there <laughs> because I need to right, run away does. faster yeah uh, right. Yeah, and as you said before, his his detective kind of qualities basically consist of going where people tell him to well, go. Well, not
1: only that, is, um if you are running away, in the case of Shora, if you are running away, you must A, be guilty, and B, yeah. guilty of the crime which I am investigating, <laughs>
0: therefore I can shoot you. Yeah, and in the street, he's waving a gun around in the street. He takes a couple of shots while people are walking around. Yeah. He's very very bad at his job. But apparently he's magic. He's magical at, at his, his unless, job.
1: unless time. he's like the cyborgs in Ghost in the Shell, where he's um he actually just has an onboard targeting computer and he's really <laughs> here. there isn't a problem. He is going to miss that Grammy by six maybe. inches and she's not gonna I guess uh, his
0: uh, the police sergeant does say that he's a great murderer. Like he's he's the best at his job. So maybe Maybe he does have a kind of Terminator capacity. But, but sorry, you were saying that uh, he's he must be human because he's a screw-up and because he's easy to beat up.
1: Yeah, well, the, the replicants can take him. Yeah, that's um, true. Uh, he doesn't, in the end, defeat them. I mean, he, he's able to no. shoot one in the back. Um, he gets... L- someone else kills another... And he kills Pris, but that's
0: kind of yeah, accidental.
1: Yeah, but because she's showing off, yeah. Roy Batty spares him. Yes. He, he, he is at Batty's mercy, and Batty pulls him up.
0: Yes. And so that, that's a perfect window into my issue with it, which isn't so much logistical as thematic. It, If he's a replicant, it thoroughly undermines the whole thematic thrust of the film. Like, If this is a film that's about exploring... How immaterial the division between replicants and humans is, and seeing that through the perspective of a human being who has been murdering them for years and who has this realization uh, in this one last case uh, that he can not only empathise with them, but perhaps even love them, then that's a, a massive uh, change that, that he undergoes that is incredibly impactful and, and shows that that division isn't really there. And that's, that's also seen uh, in the reverse through Roy Batty saving him. I mean, if Roy Batty saves a human being who has been trying to murder him, that's more impactful than if Roy Batty goes, oh, that's a replicant, I should save one of my and brothers.
1: Before precisely, And before Batty he saves him and then before he dies and he dies because he's been has um, uh, inbuilt obsolescence mm. um, before he dies he shares a true memory he has this beautiful thing about the sea beams off Orion oh, yeah. the famous tears in the rain speech lovely look it up kids it's on the internet <laughs> um, And Ab- apparently
0: uh, improved by Rutger yes, yes. But um, but you're right. Yeah, this, he shares a memory that um, a real a real
1: memory. Yeah, and and then he dies. So, um, but you you've um, spoken, I assume, intentionally twice now, talking about how Deckard has a Deckard has a um, development in empathy, which of course is the point. The point. The one difference between human beings, to borrow a phrase from other science fiction, old style humans, <laughs> the, uh, the one point of difference between them and replicants is that. The replicants don't have empathy, and this is something that's much clearer in the book. And they kind of allude to in the film is that because replicants don't have empathy, and because all human species, all animal species, excuse me, have been uh, wiped out by pollution and nuclear war, and so on, um, there are hardly any real animals left. All yeah, we got left, a couple of ostriches. Yeah, uh, all we got left are a couple of. Um, well, they're presumably meant to be fakes. Oh, yeah. O- ostrich replicants. Of course. Like the snake. The snake, snake, the snake yeah. is a replicant, yeah. Um, so the, 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 the real animals are... Even Tyrell in the movie only has a, um, a fake owl. He doesn't have a real owl. Mm. And and so the idea is human beings are now hypersensitive to the loss of the animals. And anything that involves torture of the animals would just... Cause human greatest distress, which this is, is why, why the the scene, the void cam test, yeah, is the yeah the wallet and the void cam test administered on Leon in the beginning is you see a turtle upside a tortoise, down, yeah. a tortoise upside down, uh,
0: what's a tortoise? You know what a turtle is, same thing. But that I mean, yeah, it, tortoise and a turtle are very different, like a human and a replicant, yeah. but same thing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've not,
1: I've not. Ah, oh, there that, you go. Yeah.
0: Making right. obnoxious observations, that's my thing. Oh, um, no, well,
1: he... Um, he uh, I
0: do, actually, but I want to... So are you saying that replicants can't have empathy? Well the, the idea, well, the idea, the point of the Voigt-Kamp test
1: is replicants don't have empathy, and you can... Um, and so that's how you test it. You look for the pupil dilation, which is why they... Um, so when right. he administers it to Rachel, he asks her about her son doing something horrific and then uh, a, a, a stage show
0: which shows them eating animals. I um, know uh, what her reaction would be to that. So is that she's or they are uh, programmed to have an emotional response, but their physical? No, they're not programmed
1: to have... to have a response. I don't think they're programmed. The point is they're incapable of it because at the time Dick was writing, really thinking, oh, well, emotions, that's what distinguishes us from other people, See, from I other think, ideas, like computers. So I think that's sort of the idea.
0: I can't speak to this with any authority because I've not read the, the book. but well, that I can't that speak seems... to with any authority because I've completely forgotten <laughs> most of the book. But that, that seems very different to the film because my, my reading of the film is that emotions are kind of key and empathy itself is key to not but only the... the narrative arc that plays out but also the fear that is going on between humanity and replicants, they're well, afraid of replicants. Yeah, emotions. I don't
1: think I don't think I'm importing anything from the book that isn't meant to be there. I, I think it's it, it is the, that's the only thing that makes sense. Is the replicants have no emotions? They're not empathetic, but see, and you see that in the scene where he's dealing with they're de- um, Batty and uh, so Roy Batty, uh, Rutger Howe's character, and Leon. I've got to, um, they're dealing with the designer of the eye played by James Hong. Um, they are torturing him and they are just. They are. First, they him, freeze yeah. him by ripping off his warm suit because they're able to stand withstand the extreme cold of the environment. And mm. then he's just simply putting his gross eyes on his shoulder just
0: to yeah. put him out. And, um, I think I had a different read on the emotion, though. Be- uh, I, I saw the replicants as highly emotional. And that was. It seemed to be why the. Uh, why this sort of self-destruct, or, or it's not a self-destruct; it's a um, obsolescence. Why obsolescence? No, that's just design.
1: They're built into the gene from from a, at a genetic level. But um, but it, so was, it there's, was there's some science babble. Um, no, no, but but tyrant. it was built
0: into them because their emotions start to get out of control. Like they start, they reach a point where they become emotionally unsound. I think there's an invitation to see it as a consequence of dreams. Like they they start to sort of dream and imagine, and they have these emotions that then. Makes them dangerous. I thought the I thought the
1: uh, obsessors was just was just a, a failsafe. Is that six years six years work from however many millions it costs for one of these is pretty good. And um, uh, after six years, they've learned too much, and so they can fake things. Yeah, yeah. here well, we are. I think we're, we're
0: talking about something a, a bit of the film we've forgotten. So. <laughs> no, but but, but again, the, the reason I thought that, the, and the reason that the possibility of these replicants having emotions is so significant is because the Deckard and rachel relationship uh there is a suggestion that that she loves him and he loves her so that's that's sort of breaking that uh belief that the replicants don't have emotions but more pointedly like forget that and more pointedly there's roy batty saving him at the end Mm. he has no reason to save him at the end except that he perhaps wants deckard to carry forward uh this memory of him but in his act of saving him, he speaks in an empathetic mode. He says, Deckard is about to fall. He's holding on to uh, the, the edge of the building. Uh, his hands are slipping. In he catches him. He catches him, but when he, uh, he, before he captures him, he says, quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it? That's what it is to be a slave. He, yeah. he speaks to him of an empathetic experience. What you are experiencing right now... I have experienced and we share that. That's an empathetic statement and then he saves his life Mm -hmm. which again is uh, something he has no reason to do. I mean even if even if he knows he's about to die anyway there's no No reason reason. to do it. No, you're right.
1: It is is pure empathy. He has no pure altruism. He has no reason for saving him. And he... um, But I I, I think as far as the relationship between Deckard and Rachel is concerned I'm... Again, I'd say I take the film just much more darkly, that it's a relationship between a human being who is um, exploiting a vulnerable individual that, without any possible bad consequences, as a characterization of the nature of the relationship, that so this is what humans are, this is what a replicant is, and that is the relationship in this world we have. Um, I don't think that's particularly
0: a problem. And right, so, to, so you see, to, it as to, representative of uh, the society yeah, taking advantage,
1: yeah, of. well, the way it is, and oh, and, wow. and, and that's it. And, and so, I, I, I mean, Rachel has a a lifespan; she has a very short lifespan. They they may run off together at the end, but she's going to be gone in a year or two. it's almost a
0: live for the moment. But it, it's
1: a um, that's all he can do because mm. they run off to the north together
0: or wherever. I think in the original. Uh, just to throw this in there yeah. in, in the original cinematic well, yeah I've version. seen he seen says
1: oh by the way she yeah. didn't have that thing yeah yeah, okay, okay. Um, uh, it, it is almost like you see that's the problem is I've only seen it after having seen the final cut mm. and it to me it just looked like a Saturday Night Live sketch yeah. where they turn, the you know, ending let's make an unhappy ending happy yeah know, yeah like, <laughs> so, um, no, you're they, absolutely they, they, right. They, it's not even. It, I mean, it was. It was most perfunctory. It's, it's shot in. Um, well, it's just simply they took footage from
0: um, leftover from The Shining. Yeah, and a, and a bit of VO work from yeah. um, Harrison Ford that he didn't want to record no. anyway. to just yeah, no, absolutely to give this nonsense fairy tale. It was all a dream kind of ending. She,
1: no, she was right. On, well, yeah, but the, the film doesn't justify that. The film is is these these beings, these beautiful, powerful. Uh, extremely strong and intelligent, and let us admit, dangerous and off kilter oh. beings are, are have a lifespan, mm. I mean, a short lifespan. They're not going to live for long. We watch one of them die on screen.
0: They burn brighter. Um, so and, and, the,
1: and, and, it, and 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 Batty, of course, is is being given the line that um, Leon gives. he said it's it's not a good thing. I don't it's not a good thing to live in fear.
0: I have a strange, as I've already mentioned, strange relationship to this film. Uh, I remember seeing the theatrical cut uh, many, many years ago on VHS, you know, the wavy, gritty kind of quality of of VHS, probably taped off TV, Uh, but just trash, basically, a trash version uh, of the film that has retroactively been kind of tossed in the trash as well. Even fans of the film kind of denigrate uh the original cut is it not the definitive me vision always makes
1: sympathetically oh yeah oh, i'm going to no
0: absolutely because there I are things that. in that first version that i adore and it's even the goofy things again as as much of a problem as i had with the film i love the the noir kind of aspect mm. of it and, and that first version even though it's not as aesthetically pretty uh it has more of those trappings of, of the noir. It's, it's kind of darker and grubbier. Mm. It has the... The voiceover the, of the world. Yes, very, the um, terrible detective. detective voiceover. And it is. It's objectively awful. But it captures that sort of you know Sam Spade quality of... Yeah. You
1: know, I was expecting more of the voiceover. Mm. I, and so when I watched it I, I thought, well, would there be and, and I thought we could do with some voiceover here Yeah. and,
0: and instead you, you could actually get voiceover
1: with, with some really obvious exposition of the plot, e.g.
0: It, <laughs> it gives that illusion of detection that, that I think the final cut and the director's cut are somewhat missing where he just seems to go from place to place because people tell him whereas if you put a narration on it even though he's just explaining that he's going from place to place because people told him it sounds like there's more of a Analytical kind of quality to him, uh, and again, it's just a quality of the noir uh, genre. But again, having said that, I, I acknowledge that it's a troubled version of, of the film, but it's also the one that doesn't bring in this stupid is Deckard a replicant complication of the well, later. It did a little,
1: but I, I, I don't know. But it's the, easy yeah, enough to yes. ignore. Oh, I movie. see. Oh, but then it, um, I'd forgotten the is Deckard a replicant. Or thought it was a sort of um, internet joke. Yeah, well, the, the, you know, so the idea is that because he's seen... that Because um, Gaff has seen uh, Deckard's file, he knows that that's something that Deckard will think about, his unicorns, so he shows that by mm. doing a, a little origami thing with the unicorns. And to me, I, when I first saw it, I thought it was slightly importing stuff from the novel, is that um, all the animals are dead... And, and there's a yearning for the animals, including a yearning for um, the impossible animal, an animal that never really existed—the unicorn, the horse with a horn on its head. And let's not get into stuff about whether the unicorn is a rhinoceros or anything. Mm. So, but that's that's where my imagination came from when I was reacting to this film: is that he's thinking even doesn't just want the animals back; um, he wants even the imaginary animals. So the the un and the unicorn is, is this sort of. Uh, an important visual part of our culture, certainly Western culture. Um, this is society for the study of Western tradition. Um, uh, probably the most talked about non-existent animal with the exception maybe of dragons. Mm-hmm. And it's the one that you know, turns up everywhere, turns up on little girls, lunchboxes, turns up on erasers and turns up, um, on, in online jokes. Um, and and but so the, the unicorn is is something we do, and that, that's what I I read it as is more a um a sort of yearning and and just the mm. freedom of the unicorn and um, possibly also the relationship within um, folklore between the unicorn and virgins. In that the unicorn um, hmm. you you attracted unicorn. See Ridley Scott did legend, didn't he? Well, I think he did. Yeah. yeah. Which, um, so the, um, you attract a unicorn by getting a virgin, and the unicorn will come and lay his head and his horn in the virgin's lap, and that's what you do. <laughs> so um, there may be hints of that, I don't know. but um... So are
0: you saying you're retconning the entire ending to ignore the, the replicant implication to instead take this other reading that it's a longing for...
1: Yeah, well, I, I just don't see you can see him as a replicant, um, because he gets... Um, he gets beaten up hmm. very easily
0: by <laughs> yeah, no. uh, pretty much everyone. <clears throat> this is what you were saying about like ignoring the creator's intent to impose well, this, your
1: own... Yeah well that's the thing is is um, this is the problem is when the creator specifically says this is the interpretation, even with the auteur theory, films are the product of many creative minds. And sure the director's important and his vision is important and and his ideas are important. But Lots of other people put stuff into the film, mm. too. It came from the script, it came from the source material, it came from the actors, and if he wasn't able to control it so that, do it, then, well, we'll just enjoy it the way we can. In the end, I'm not sure it's... I like it, and I, I, I'm not one of those people who just say, oh, I don't like it when, pe- when I hear people talk about films, they say, oh, yeah, but there's this bit
0: that's not good. I,
1: I'm just prepared to take it as a flawed beauty, and I think it is
0: a bit of a piece of flawed beauty. I like that can I steer it even further into the death of the author, particular for this film you know when when a film has come out that has four you said five i mean pretty definitive versions well there there are
1: one two well I'd say really three three but, I mean still, of which I've seen. One several times and one once. So let's not pretend I'm the great expert. Obviously.
0: No, no, but, but this is what I mean. I, and, and I'm somewhat of an outsider because, as I said, I've watched this film several times, desperately attempting to love it and have always had an issue. Um, this most recent time I enjoyed it because I followed that image of the eyeball reflecting the society and I sort of accepted the way that it's a distortion on... You know the the glass of the eye um which i then followed through to read as a kind of a metatextual commentary that there's no way that ridley scott could have intended but given that there are multiple versions of this film and given that the experience of watching both this film as a a product that you return to in time but as also uh, a text that is constantly in flux by the virtue of it having multiple versions this is a text that invites you to take what you will from the versions that you like. So in my head, in the version that's reflected against my eyeball, I have uh, my, my lovely, uh, although garbagely written, uh, noir narration, and I have the beautiful visual aesthetics of the final cut, uh, I have the, you know, the better special effects that aren't quite as... Sort of...
1: In the end, your experience of this film is mostly memory. So oh you, man! You, combine, See, you, you
0: have combined your memories
1: into your perfect edit. The film is itself. I will just point. Oh, sorry. No, you, you, you. Go on, no, board, I was about to say the,
0: the the film is itself a, a voigt uh test, examining me and uh, testing whether my memories are implanted or genuine reflections. There's a blade Runner over there. What? He's going to shoot you. Maybe that's a good place to end. Yeah but I uh, thank you for for uh, talking me through Blade Runner uh again exceptional film uh and and very revealing to to have your thoughts so thank, thank you. you and thank you for doing this too
1: yeah.
0: Campion Conversations is a production of Campion College of the Liberal Arts, Australia.